0: Hi, and welcome to Crash Course Catholicism, a podcast about Catholic teaching and why it makes sense. I'm your host, Caitlin West. welcome to this episode on Advent and Christmas. I love Christmas. Christmas is such a special, beautiful time of the year. It is one of the most important seasons in the liturgical calendar. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the history of Christmas and how it developed as a feast day. We're then going to talk about Advent, what its purpose is and what we should actually do during Advent. And then we're going to talk about what Christmas looks like today and how the church celebrates it. Okay, so let's start by looking at the history of Christmas. Now, contrary to what you might assume, Christmas, in the words of the Catholic Encyclopedia, was not among the earliest festivals of the Church. There are a couple of lists of feast days that were written in the second century by Irenaeus and Tertullian, and Christmas is not included in either of those lists. Now, this isn't to say that the birth of Christ wasn't important to early Christians. It was – But at this point in time, no one could agree on when Christ was actually born. For the first few centuries, people speculated a lot about Jesus' birth date. Some people celebrated his birth on the 20th of May and other people celebrated it on the 28th of March. In fact, the Catholic Encyclopedia has this great line. It says, there is no month in the year to which respectable authorities have not assigned Christ's birth. (laughs) So people in different geographical areas tended to celebrate the birth of Christ at different times of the year. However, by the 4th century, the 25th of December had become a common date for the celebration of this feast in many parts of the world, and that date became more and more popular over time. Now, this leads to the question, why the 25th of December? And the answer to that question is... Dunno. (laughs) It is not clear why exactly Christians eventually settled on that date over other dates. Some people speculate that because it was the same date as certain pagan festivals at the time, it was intended to replace those festivals. But there's not really any concrete evidence to support that claim. Other people have pointed out that the Feast of the Annunciation of Christ's Birth, so when the angel Gabriel told Mary that she would be the mother of Jesus – That was celebrated on the 25th of March in the early church. I mean, it's still celebrated on the 25th of March. And because the 25th of December is exactly nine months after that date, that's when people decided to celebrate the birth of Christ. Now, it's generally understood that Jesus almost definitely wasn't literally born on the 25th of December. No one knows exactly when he was born. The important thing isn't the literal historical date. The important thing is that there is a specific time in the year when Christians come together to celebrate and commemorate his birth. Now, by the 6th century, another element had been introduced, which was a season that we call Advent. Advent is a time of preparation before Christmas and it begins four Sundays before Christmas Day. So, depending on how the days of the week fall in a particular calendar year, Advent will go for between 22 and 28 days. This year, Advent only goes for 22 days because Christmas falls on a Monday. It's literally the shortest Advent possible. So, if it feels like Christmas has crept up on you this year, that might be why. Originally, Advent was a 40-day fast. It was a lot more like Lent, a lot more penitential. But by the 11th century, the length of Advent had been reduced to those four Sundays, and Catholics were no longer required to fast or refrain from eating meat, etc. But although Advent is no longer 40 days long, those four Sundays still represent those 40 days that Christ spent in the desert preparing to begin his ministry. So that word, preparing is important. Advent is a time of preparation. But what are we preparing for? Well, of course, Christmas. (laughs) But there is more to it than that. The Catechism says in point 524 that during Advent, by sharing in the long preparation for the Saviour's first coming, the faithful renew their ardent desire for his second coming. So this quote captures the two broad aims of Advent – First of all, yes, we're preparing to celebrate the birth of Christ, to receive him in our hearts through grace and also in the Eucharist on Christmas Day. But the second aim of Advent, and this one is less well known, is to prepare ourselves for the second coming of Christ at the end of the world. This is actually a massive part of Advent, and the two aims of Advent are closely linked. By preparing our hearts for the birth of Christ, we also renew our desire for his second coming. In fact, if we look at the liturgy and the readings for Mass in the first couple of weeks of Advent, what we find is multiple references to Christ's second coming. So, for instance, this year in the readings, we heard our Lord telling us in the Gospel of Matthew, stay awake because you never know when the time will come. And in the second letter of St. Peter, we heard that we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth. So... We're meant to be preparing for Christmas and also for the end of time. So how do we prepare for the coming of Christ? Well, we can answer that question using the words of John the Baptist. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. We prepare by converting our hearts, by repenting of sin and striving to be saints. So throughout Advent, the church makes use of external signs to remind us that this is a time of conversion. The priest wears purple or violet vestments at Mass to symbolize penance, preparation, and sacrifice. Flower arrangements around the altar are often either removed altogether or they're much more subdued, and we don't sing or say the Gloria during Sunday Mass. So here we can see some parallels between Advent and Lent. This time isn't quite as somber and penitential as Lent. There's much more emphasis on hope and anticipation, But there is still a focus on the conversion of our hearts. It's like we're sweeping out the cobwebs in preparation for Christ. And this makes sense, right? Like if your best friend was coming to visit, you would prepare for that visit, not just by getting excited, but also by cleaning up your house and making it presentable. So, this is what all of those external signs in church are reminding us that this is a time of interior preparation. Now, we just mentioned that the priest wears violet vestments at Mass during Advent. However, On the third Sunday of Advent, you might have noticed that the priest was wearing pink or rose-colored vestments. This third Sunday is referred to as Gaudete Sunday. Gaudete is a Latin word meaning joy. And this is a time in Advent when we stop and we celebrate. It's like at the halfway point of Advent, we pause and celebrate the nearness of Christ's coming. It's kind of like, you know, if we return to the image of your best friends coming to visit and you and your family are running around, tidying up the house, and then suddenly halfway through the clean, someone stops and looks at you and is like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that they're actually going to be here in one hour. And then you both kind of stop and do a little happy dance and then you continue to clean the house. It's kind of like that. Gaudete Sunday is a day when we focus on joy and hope and excitement at the coming of Jesus. And that's reflected in that rose color that we see in the church. Okay, so we've said that Advent is a time of interior preparation. It's like spring cleaning season for our souls. So practically speaking, what does that actually involve? What should we actually do to prepare for Christmas and the second coming of Christ? Well, Broadly speaking, there are three areas that we can focus on, and they're actually the same three areas that we should always turn to, and those are prayer, mortification, and the sacraments. So firstly, prayer. One thing that we can do during Advent is to pray about and meditate on the birth of Christ and on his second coming. I really recommend praying in front of a nativity scene if you can, either in your home or at church or at least internally contemplating the scene of Christ's birth in your prayer, just spending time sitting there with Our Lady and the Baby Jesus and St. Joseph and just contemplating the scene. There are many books and resources that can help us to do that, and I'll include some in the show notes. Secondly, mortification, offering things up to God. Again, Advent isn't like Lent in that we're like, okay, I'm going to offer something up and do it for the whole of Lent, but it's still a good idea to mortify ourselves. And something that can be really helpful is to choose a mortification that is directly related to an area where I'm currently struggling with virtue, since we're trying to kind of convert our hearts. So for instance, say that I struggle with temperance around social media. Maybe during Advent, I can download an app that limits how much time I spend on my phone. And then lastly, the sacraments. It's a really good idea during Advent to, first of all, do a good examination of conscience, and then secondly, to go to confession. A good examination of conscience will help us to see those areas where we need to clean up our souls, and I'll include some links to examinations of conscience in the show notes in case you're not sure where to start. And then a good, sincere confession will also help us to clear out the junk that's in our hearts and start fresh. Not only does confession obtain forgiveness for our sins, it will also give us the grace to fight sin in the future. And of course, the other sacrament that will help us to prepare for Christmas is the Eucharist, going to Mass as often as we can. So those are some general suggestions for ways to prepare for Christmas. So I was also listening to a prayer meditation on Advent the other day. Um, I'll include it in the show notes because it was really great. And the priest was talking about Mary's time of preparation prior to the birth of Christ, her kind of Advent. And he points out that one of the things that Mary did during that time was to serve others. The first thing she did when she found out she was pregnant was to go and help her cousin Elizabeth. And that can be useful for us to take Mary as our model, to think of Advent as a time of service, particularly because Christmas is a time when we receive a lot, we're getting a lot of gifts, we're getting a lot of nice food and we're celebrating a lot and we can easily fall into overindulgence. Advent is a really great time to be reminded that we're all called to be a gift to others. So this priest gave a list of some practical suggestions, which I found super useful. So I thought I'd share some of them with you. They include... Visiting the elderly or the sick, or spending time with someone who has no family or is more socially isolated. Donating items or money to a good cause. And not just donating like our crappy stuff that we don't want anymore, but actually donating something nice that maybe we like, but we don't need. If you have kids, that can be a great thing to do with them during Advent, to think of something that they can give away to someone who needs it. Encouraging friends or family members to accompany us when we serve someone being more generous with our parish by donating our time or resources – cutting back on unnecessary purchases. This is such an easy one to fall into because there are so many sales around this time and we can get caught up in spending money when we don't need to. And then finally, inviting someone to celebrate Christmas with us who doesn't have anyone to celebrate with. So those are just a few suggestions of things that we can do. And it might be a bit late to try to do all of them this year, although we've still got almost a week of Advent to go. So maybe we can try to do, you know, even just one active service for someone before or during the Christmas season. Another way that Christians have traditionally prepared for Christmas is, of course, through the decorations that we put up. So it can be a great idea to set up a nativity scene in our homes. Fun fact, did you know that the practice of reenacting the nativity scene was first popularized by St. Francis of Assisi in 1223? And eventually that developed into the practice of setting up a private nativity scene in the home. How cool is that? It was St. Francis thing. I did not know that. We can also make a Christmas wreath. Fun fact. Another fun fact, I didn't know this, but apparently the reason why we make Christmas wreaths is because that circle of green leaves represents eternal life, which is linked to the idea of the second coming of Christ. And some people put Advent candles in the center of the wreath to symbolize the light of Christ coming into the world. So a wreath is kind of a perfect symbol of the two main themes of Advent. And then this brings us to another practice, which is lighting Advent candles. In Mass, you might have noticed that we have four candles during Advent. Three, purple or violet, and one, pink or rose. And each Sunday, we light the candle of that particular week. Each of the four candles represents something different. So in order of when we light them, they represent hope, peace, joy, and love. So it goes violet, violet, rose, violet. And then you're turning violet, violet. And then on Christmas day, we light a white candle to represent Christ. Some people like to use Advent candles at home. They might set aside a specific time each week where they light the candles as a family and pray together. A friend of mine sent me a message recently and she was like, so I just went out and I tried to buy Advent candles for the first time for my family and I got confused and I bought three pink candles and one purple one. And I was like, oh wow, you're going to have a really happy Advent this year. But yes, candles, can be a great way to mark the progress of Advent and to pray as a family. Even decorations that don't seem overtly Christian, like the Christmas tree, actually have ties to Advent and Christmas. There's a legend about the origin of the Christmas tree, and it goes like this. Apparently, St. Boniface in the 8th century was walking in the woods on Christmas Eve, and he came across a group of people who were performing a ritual of worship to a pagan god under an oak tree. And as part of the ritual, they were about to commit child sacrifice. St. Boniface allegedly interrupted the ritual, stopped them from killing the child, and then he picked up an axe and he chopped down the oak tree. And standing behind that tree was a small fir tree. And St. Boniface told the people that this fir tree would represent the true meaning of Christmas. The green leaves symbolized eternal life. Its triangular shape symbolized the Trinity. And its pointy top pointed to heaven in a reminder of our final destination. I mean, who knows if the story is true. But regardless, these can be useful symbols for us to keep in mind when we decorate our Christmas trees. So, after Advent has concluded, we come to Christmas Day, the 25th of December. This is a day of enormous significance in the Catholic Church. It's a day when we celebrate one of the great mysteries of our faith. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, point 526, tells us that Christmas is the mystery of the marvellous exchange in which man's creator has become man, born of the Virgin, and we have been made sharers in the divinity of Christ. So on Christmas Day, we remember not only that Christ became man, but also that he became man for a reason that through his death and resurrection, we also become sharers in his divine life. We contemplate the profound humility of God the Son, that He became a human being. We also celebrate with gratitude the incredible gift that He gave us by dying for us and thereby obtaining our salvation. So it is a huge day in the Catholic Church. But it's not just a day. Luckily for us, Christmas does not just last for one day in the Catholic Church, it lasts for around 12 days. In the Catholic Church, we celebrate what is called the Christmas season. There are certain big feast days in the Catholic Church, like Easter, Pentecost, and Christmas, which are celebrated as Octaves, which basically means an eight day feast. So the octave of Christmas ends on the 1st of January, which is also the feast of Mary the Mother of God. And then after the octave, we have the feast of the Epiphany, which has traditionally been celebrated on the 6th of January, and that's 12 days after Christmas. Although in the US, it's celebrated on the first Sunday after the octave, whenever that falls. So it can be slightly more or slightly less than 12 days. Fun fact for any Shakespeare nerds out there, the night before the Feast of the Epiphany has traditionally been referred to as Twelfth Night. What? I feel like I should have known that. I did not know that. On the Feast of the Epiphany, we celebrate the revelation that Jesus is the Son of God. And this feast day actually covers three events in the life of Jesus, the first being the visit of the three kings, which is usually the one that we emphasize the most on this feast day. The second is Jesus' baptism in the River Jordan, and the third is the wedding feast at Cana. Each of these three moments are times when God revealed to the world that Jesus was his son. This is a really important feast day when we think about it, because Jesus' birth is only significant if we understand who he is, that he is the son of God and why he became man. So in many countries, the Feast of the Epiphany is a really big deal, and it's celebrated with gift-giving and feasting. So altogether, the Christmas season begins with the Vigil Mass on Christmas Eve, And it ends with the epiphany. That's a lot of days of feasting. I remember as kids, we used to capitalize on that so hard. My mom would get up at like, on like the 3rd of January and she'd be like, why are you guys eating Nutella for breakfast? And we'd be like, it's still Christmas, it's still Christmas. Okay, so we have... 12-ish days of feasting in the Christmas season. So how should we celebrate that feast? Well, first of all, by going to Mass. Christmas Day itself, the 25th of December, is a holy day of obligation. In fact, in Australia, it is one of only two holy days of obligation that are actually enforced, apart from Sundays. The other being the Feast of the Assumption. In some places, like in the U.S., the 1st of January, which is the Feast of Mary, the Mother of God, and the last day of the Octave of Christmas, is also a holy day of obligation. But even aside from these days of obligation, going to Mass and receiving our Lord in the Eucharist on any day during the Christmas season is a fantastic way of celebrating and remaining united to Him. We can also continue to enrich our prayer by meditating on the mystery of Christ's incarnation. And lastly, we can celebrate by celebrating, spending time with our family and friends, eating Nutella for breakfast. This is such an important and joyful time in the church calendar that we should try to allow ourselves to experience that joy during that time, obviously within the bounds of temperance. And finally, giving gifts is a reminder of the incredible gift that God has given us. It's also a symbol of the three kings and a symbol of gratitude for the gift of others, as well as a reminder that we are called to give our whole selves to those around us and ultimately to God. So... That's Christmas, an advent, done like a dinner. Amazing. Before we finish up today, I wanted to share one of the messages that I have received from a listener. I wanted to share this particular message firstly as a reminder to all of us to pray for people listening to the podcast. I know I've said this before, but there are people who are going through really big conversions and they need our prayers. But also because this particular listener talks about the incarnation in a really beautiful way. So This message is from a listener called Daniel. Hi, Daniel. Daniel was raised a Catholic and had fallen away from his faith, but last year he experienced a reversion. And FYI, I have his permission to read this. So I've edited some of his message for length and clarity, but this is what he writes. He says, while listening to episode nine on Mary in late March, 2022, I had an epiphany of sorts. "'A vision in my mind's eye of Mary and the Holy Family and the Trinity, and in an instant I gained immense understanding that had eluded me for 32 years up until that point. The beauty of the Catholic faith hit me all at once. It was like all the pieces of the Catholic faith fell into place, and in an instant I was converted. Specifically, the love of God knocked me off my feet.' What really struck me was the simplicity and condescension of God, coming down as an infant, placing himself and his well-being into the hands of a perfect young woman. God showed humanity the perfect love of God in one image that every human can understand the love between a mother and her child. Isn't that so beautiful? I love that. Mike Daniel, you should be running this podcast. (laughs) Such a great example as well of how the Holy Spirit works in our souls. Just amazing. So I reckon that's a great image for us to end on, the image of a mother with her child. Let's keep that image in our minds during this last week of Advent and throughout the Christmas season. Let's pray for each other, especially for people who might not have anyone to celebrate Christmas with or who are suffering or grieving during this time. And just a heads up before we finish, I'm planning to take a little bit of a break over Christmas to spend some time with family. So that means that um, the next episode is going to be out in one month rather than in one fortnight. So I will talk to you again in January. I hope that you have a very happy Christmas and New Year. And I cannot wait to talk to you again soon. Okay, bye.